and amen. It's interesting because this message is going to be part of it's going to be on high technology, which I know I have zero knowledge. But I do have a, maybe a, just a very fundamental understanding of our technology. And I was reading that in, in Sweden, they've already injected thousands of people with a small, tiny microchip under their skin. And we should not be surprised. You know, we know that dogs can have these tiny chips, you know, implanted in them, you know, to track them down uh, if they get lost. So, so that's going to be my, my microchipping is here, and it gives the old Frank Sinatra song, I've got you under my skin, a whole new meaning and purpose. Amen? They say that these chips will have endless potential and make life simpler. They will be able to track your every move. You know? Your every move. Uh, lock your front door. Start your car. Do your banking. Just like that. Simply by swiping, it's going to be your right hand right over some kind of a, a payment apparatus, and presto, your transaction is done. It's completed. Does that sound far-fetched? No. It's just, it's here. And actually, there, this has been going on, these kind of things that we don't even know about. The public doesn't. That's where we're at. And I believe this microchipping advancement fits in time prophecy. So we're going to be looking at Revelation 13, 16 through 18. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on, the, on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Verse 18. And we're going to be talking about this a little later. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast. For it is man's number. It's, his number is 666. Could the development of this high technology be a prelude to the mark of the beast? That's one question. Could this technology lead to some form of universal government that will control the world's economy and our lives? Is it possible this could happen? It was just, what, uh, Friday night. And if you watch the news, we've been hearing about two bills that our lawmakers are trying to pass. You know? And one was passed Friday night. It was the infrastructure bill for the tune of $1.2 trillion dollars. Now, if you really want to get into your government and what this all means, you know, one, that's, one, that's a beautiful world of computers. You can look and find out really where, where, where the major or portions of this uh, infrastructure, where it's going, okay? And they, they would break them down. And if you look at it and you do the simple math, you will discover that probably less than half Half of that $1.2 trillion will go to actually for infrastructure. 
I'm all for infrastructure. Why does it have to be more than that? That's number one. Number two is the biggie. Well, both of them are big. I mean, my goodness. And that's going to happen right around the 15th of November. They're going to vote on the $1.85 trillion bill, and that's going to be the social economic bill. And all I can say is some are saying, and I'm just saying, you, 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 be, you think about this yourself. Some are saying if we pass these two bills, it's the beginning of socialism in our country. I believe they're right. And here's what I'm hearing, and here's what we are hearing. We're hearing this. Okay, three, four, five trillion dollars. We need this, we need this. And that's not going to cost us what? It's not going to cost us a dime. Zero. Who's going to pay for this? Well, what's the plan? The plan is for the wealthiest and the largest corporations. Really? Who's going to pay for this? Your children's children. Your children. Who, that's, going to, who's going to, that's my opinion. Now, I don't want to get too political here, but come on, it's common sense. Isn't it? Why aren't people getting this? I'm praying and hoping that more people are because this is not a good situation. So we need, in my view, we need hope and pray for when, middle of November, when they, when they uh, really start kicking around this $1.85 trillion uh, bill, that somehow we get some kind of, in, you know, uh, a God's revelation input in it. It's interesting to me, when somebody says to me, it's not going to cost you a dime. I've been, I've, through the, I've learned something, and the old saying I think is true. When it sounds too good to be true, then it is. Then it is. So far, how are we doing? Are you, are you discouraged? I hope not. Let's look at, first of all, money is driving our world. That's our first thought from Matthew six twenty four. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. One thing that stands out today is money and systems of materialism play dominant roles in our lives. But listen, Jesus is not teaching here that making money, being financially successful, are bad things. They're not. God wants us to be creative. He wants us to use our abilities. There's nothing wrong with success. Only, only if it takes top priority. If money is your number one goal, God says, I have problems with that. Don't make it your number one goal. But by all means, work hard. You know, be successful. That's great. That's the American way. But unfortunately, we're moving toward the direction of money's becoming our God. Money's becoming our God. And so we need to be very, very cautious with that kind of thinking. 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, 
boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. So I'm going to get back to this money uh, situation here. In the last days, people will become even more greedy uh, lovers of money. And Satan, Satan, here's what's going to happen. He, his, his guy, his guy is going to be the one that's going to be pushing, driving all this. The tribulation period will be marked by incoming economic inequality. This is the socialism model. The rich will get richer. There'll be a wider gulf between the have and the have-nots. And aren't we seeing this today? Aren't we seeing a greater gulf today? And this has already, already started. Consider this. If you look up, don't take my word for it, if you look at the Global Wealth Report, and it will state this, that what is it? 1% of our top uh, earning income in the United States, of that 1%, they own over 32% of our nation's wealth. And that figure percent is going up. That's the highest it's ever been, and I, we don't see any reason why that should reverse itself. And also consider this. 1% of our world's population owns 4% of the world's wealth. Isn't that interesting? And it's not getting, it's, it's not going to change. It's going to keep progressing. It's going to increase and increase and increase and increase. Take a look today. Now, I don't know. I'm going down a rabbit trail with this one. I'm not a great guy with, it, with all of this, but I do know this. The stock market is just off the charts. If you are an investor... You're making a lot of money. You're making a lot of money. But if you're an investor like that, making that kind of money, you're in a different bracket. You're up there. So we can see, we can see what's happening, you know, in our, in our country, in our world. And also, there was, uh, this is just another little sidebar there. I heard the Secretary of, what was it, of Commerce or whatever it was, was talking about the oil. You know, when you have oil, the gas prices up, we all know that. And so they're, they're, they're looking for, uh, to try to plead now, since we're not really producing our own oil anymore, which I'm getting too political here. I'm thinking, how dumb can we be? But we, we aren't. So that OPEC, they are controlling the oil. So they are dictating the prices for Pete's sake. So we stop, well, there again, I should be, I'm campaigning, all right? Say, no, Denny, don't go there, don't go there. I don't, I can't understand, you know, my thinking with this. Why would we stop producing? Do you realize how much oil we have in the United States? We don't need the oil from the Middle East. We don't need that. But here we are, prices are going up, and what is it? We're building back whatever it is. And we are being trashed. Oh, I tell you, this is, you're going to say, we'll pay you, we went over the line. But the Bible is talking about these things. These things will happen. We are, so many people are blinded. They are blinded by this. 
They're blinded by power, blinded by an agenda, blinded by an ideology. They are blinded to the truth. And the Bible talks about this. These people will be deceived. People, friends, are being deceived as I speak. Or we would not be having this conversation. Are we 100% right? No. But we're in the ballpark. We're there. So, anyway, you're thinking, boy, Denny, you talk about, thank you for, for past appreciation. Now you're bringing all this gloom and doom. Um, but we need to understand the Antichrist from Revelation 13, 1 through, through 11. Now, as I read this, friends, this can really blow your mind because there's so much here, and there's so much in Revelation and the book of Daniel, Ezekiel. We talk about in times for Thessalonians, so many scriptures. So I'm not trying to get into a series of talking about all these particular marks of the beast or the ten horns, this, that, the other thing. I'm trying to give you just a general overview here so I have kind of an, an idea of what's happens going on according to the word of God. You with me? Revelation 13, 1 through 11. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns. And on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but it had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. Are you with me? I'm sure you have all of this. You understand the bear, the lion, everything. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. But the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Verse 4. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheming God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship who? The beast. All those names who have not, who have not been written in the book of life, belong to the Lamb that was slain for the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed by the sword, with a sword he will be killed. We're talking about intense, intense persecution during the Great Tribulation period. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. That's believers in Christ. Verse 12, the beast out of the earth. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Okay? 
Let's go back to verse 1. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads and ten crowns, and each head had a blasphemous name. Satan is one that stood on the shore. The sea symbolizes the nations. And then for cross-reference, look up Revelation 17, 15. Satan calls out his main man, the Antichrist, and will reveal to all the nations his character, who he is, what he is, and the heads of thorns I just read and so forth. Look at Revelation 17, 19 through 12. You can also go to Revelation 16. Go to also go to the book of Daniel. We see a lot of of end times revelation as well. But it should be noted that the little horn mentioned in Daniel 7 verse 8 is the beast of Revelation 13, the Antichrist. Again, verse 1b, and I saw a beast, the Antichrist, coming out of the sea. This chapter addresses the terrible reality of evil and nations of people that will be deceived and they'll follow this evil. Verse 11, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. The beast is identified as the false prophet. The false prophet will will appear to be nice and meek and mild, but very cunning initially. Verse 13, and he will perform great and miraculous signs even to cause fire to come down from heaven to earth in full, in full view of men. Do you understand all of this? Really? I don't quite get it all. But that's why we just want to try to get to the basics here. The false prophet's role is going to be to perform miracles and to lead and to force people to worship the Antichrist. That's his game. That's the end game. Now, some feel that Antichrist is here today. There again, woo, you're getting into really some interesting, I think sometimes crazy in time theology, but, but that's, that, it's out there. But this leads us to the, my third point, the mark of the beast. Verse 18, this calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him Calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. It is very challenging, I believe, and frustrating to try and juggle numbers and letters in order to identify this evil world ruler. But the Bible says 666 represents imperfection. Now, my goodness, you can go through different reading commentaries on this. And that is, someone said, well, 666 is the highest human number. That's it. Because it can't be seven. Because why? Because seven, according to the Bible, means, represents perfection. So you go 666, that's it. That represents the Antichrist. So and what it means also that 666 is a sign that identifies those who will worship the beast. Question for you. See if you're awake. Will will believers worship the beast? No. 
Worshippers will not worship the beast. If you don't have that mark, if you have that mark, you will worship him. If you don't have the mark, what does that mean? That means you're a Christian. It means you're refusing all this. You, you, then we get into the great tribulation. Are you really with me? Yes. Oh, good. That was a strong yes. I'm going to rush back to my notes. I'm so excited about that. So, so, so in the last days, people from all walks of life will receive the mark of the beast. Are you with me? Without this mark, they will be unable to make any transaction. You know, they won't be able to, to buy, sell, do anything financial. Why? Because just the Antichrist. Enter new believers. Now, my question to you is this. Will we be a part of this? According, right, exactly. According to the Bible, we will experience the rapture. We will be gone. Christ will come and meet us, and we will be with him. He's talking about those in the great tribulation period. Those Christians, new Christians, will say, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to get this chip. We're not going to get the mark. We're not going to do that. There will be great persecution because they will not be able to do pretty much anything on this earth. They're going to be scavengers, scavengers around for food, etc., doesn't this sound like something out of a Star Wars or whatever? But it's true. And people look and they say, huh? Is this really going to happen? Really? What a waste of time. They said that back in the days of Noah. You're crazy. Why are you building an ark? You know, we're partying, we're doing this and that. You are so, so crazy. Well, guess what? God said, I warned you. I warned you. Now am I crazy? Now is Noah crazy? God is warning us today. That's why it's in his word. That's why, and what happens, oftentimes I believe that Satan will use this because he, I think he discourages pastors and churches to go into Revelation, the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, other really deep prophetic end-time prophecies because he doesn't want them to. Satan doesn't want them to. And we get discouraged. And quite frankly, maybe some don't even believe it. That's the lie. That's Satan's lie. We need to talk about these things. Even though they get confusing and and uncomfortable, we need to be a student, so to speak, of end-time prophecy. Just don't take a pastor's word for it. You look up Revelation. Go to Revelation. Go to Daniel. Read, read these uh, wonderful prophecies and let the Holy Spirit minister to your heart and your mind and he will do that. Amen? Amen. So I'm not going to stand up and tell you I have all the answers. I'm giving you what I believe the Bible is telling us about these end time uh, uh, prophecies. Now, with our rapid development of technology, even I, being so of so distant from all this technology, even I have to come to the conclusion of this, that a micro, microchip under one's skin, that's not so far-fetched. That's not Oz thinking out there. It's here right now. And it's going to progress. Stop it. Next week, we're going to talk about the fallen church, 
Well, guess what's happening to the church today? You are clearly a minority. I'm talking about a clear minority. And the, and the distance, the gulf between Christ and the church, uh, the separation is, is becoming greater and greater and greater and greater. Let me give you an example of this. My first church was in Piper City, Illinois. And it was a great church for me because it was a small church, wonderful people, and it was a church where I could make a lot of mistakes. And they still loved me for it. So that was a good thing. And at that time, that church, see, with, with Presbyterians, when they count uh, membership or, or whatever, they don't, do, they don't count the way we do. They count only confirmed members. They don't count children, whatever. Like in our, what do we do in our denomination? How many come to your worship today? Oh, we had about 150. That includes everything that moves. You know, with the Presbyterians, whatever, that's not the case. My point with all of that is, it was a church of maybe, uh, I think we averaged 78 in attendance there. And with throwing the kids there, maybe 125, 130. Had a lot of kids there. At that point in time, that was considered, as far as membership, you know, members in the church, they were way down below, down, they were in the lower rung of, of all the churches, all the 89 churches. And today they have shrunk. Unbelievable. They are lucky from what I'm, I still get their monthly newsletter. And there's another thing, Jason, I go down another drive-by trail. I get that same, that monthly newsletter, and it hasn't changed in over 30 years. That's typical small church. They, the typical small church. So that church right now, as I speak, has tons of money. They have two farms. And so I had a church with a lot of money. They still have it. So they have money, but they don't have people. So they are less, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, on any given worship Sunday, they're, they're lucky if they have, they have 20 to 25 people. But get this. Of all the churches in their district, that would be Blackhawk Presbytery, they are just a shade below, right in the middle for, a t- for membership. What does that tell you? They're shrinking in huge numbers. And right now, they're looking for 13 pastors to supply their pulpits. You put all that together as a pastor and say, whoa, this is not good. But I'm not surprised because that denomination has been in the decline for years and years and years. And we're going to be talking about more about that next week. And I'm probably going to get, because this is out there probably, isn't it, John? So I'm probably going to get some comments from somebody that's a Presbyterian or whatever. I'm probably going to get hammered for this. But it is what it is, what it is, what it is. They have moved away from Christ. I say that very cautiously, but they just said it. Because they are so involved in the, the political agenda arena. And they're not alone. Other denominations follow that same path. We are in trouble. The church at large is in trouble. 
And this has been predicted in the Bible. These things at the end time will happen. People become lovers of what? Of money and other things and lovers of Christ will, and God will fall away. And we're seeing more and more of that in the churches. You know, I don't, for years, I've never really, um, when I look at all these things, I look more at the church than you do the secular world. I understand the secular world. But I see that more and more churches across our land are in trouble spiritually. That's what we have to look at, I believe. Are you with me? All right. So, now that you're totally depressed, we're going to go with number four, learning to be content from Hebrews 13, 5, and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Ever heard of John Calvin? (coughs) If you're a Presbyterian guy, which I was for a time, John Calvin used to be my guy. You know, I used to to really embrace his teaching. He's a great church father, but he once said that those who crave affluence are never satisfied. The, The search goes from sufficiency to overabundance. The more you have, the more you want. And for, that's the way it is for many, many people. The more money they have, it's like an addiction. The more they want. You know, is a million dollars enough? Two, three, four, five? Trillion? Billion? It's not enough. We crave for more. And, and I just wanted to say this before we move on. And that is, I believe that we are born, if we're born in the image of God, we were born with a spiritual hunger. A spiritual hunger that power and money cannot satisfy. It doesn't matter how much you have. There's going to be something inside of you that's saying that's not enough. That doesn't satisfy. That doesn't satisfy my soul, which in my heart. I remember the late Johnny Carson. You know, he's worth like $350 million. He himself said, money doesn't solve problems. It only solves money problems. He was a troubled man. He had all this money. That's what God is telling us. Money does not solve our problems. It only solves money problems. Verse 5 again. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Where God is, there is never-ending sufficiency and contentment. God is our anchor. God is our helper who holds us firmly against any storm that comes our way in life. That's God. That's what he does. As we move closer and closer to the end of this age, I believe that our economy, well, over a period of time, 
combined with the world's economy. And out of that will come a socialist brand. A socialist brand that will eventually destroy our prosperity, will destroy our ability to make money and achieve, will destroy our freedoms, and will eventually destroy our way of life, humanity. That's not my prediction. That's God's prediction. It's, it's happening, and it's happening now. Again, like I said, I believe we're right in the beginning stage of this. I, when somebody really pushes me, I say, well, we're probably in and around that tribulation period because we're still here. So the rapture hasn't come because we are still here. But we're getting closer and closer, I believe, to the rapture. Now, I'm done, but I just want to say this. Young people are coming in. And uh, I remember years ago, I was talking about some of these things and a young couple come up to me. They're very concerned because they didn't, they thought, well, are we going to, we just got married, whatever. What about our lives? All I can say is this. We don't know when the rapture's coming. Zoe, it could come when you turn 18 years old or 19, 20, 25, as we get older. It could come in my lifetime and maybe 500 years from now. But my whole point of this is we don't have to fear. Levi and I, you don't have to fear because Christ has us. Okay? He's going to take care of us. That's the good news. And this communion reminds us of this transforming unbelievable truth that Jesus Christ will never leave us. He will never forsake us. But in closing, we have work to do. Even Christians today that think this is all nonsense, this is not going to happen in our lifetime or whatever it is, they are buying into deception. We are called as believers to proclaim Jesus Christ to our family, our friends, our neighbors, or whatever. And you might say, well, what happens if we don't? All I'm saying is this. Maybe God is telling me something. (laughs) Because... I know that many of you or some of you have come from Catholic traditions. So I'm trying to be very, very cautious with this, but be very, very honest. And that is when we die, there are no second chances. There's no, oh, darn, Jesus really exists. Oh, thank you for giving me. No, our chances come now. This is our moment, our time. It's now. Don't put it off. If you don't know Christ, then pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. If you know a family member, friend, or whatever, they don't know Christ, then pray and ask God, 
God, how can you use me to help that person know you? That's our calling. That's what we're called to do. Did not Jesus say, we don't know the times, but be ready. Be prepared. Share me. Share me with others. That's your job, Christian. That's our job to do that. These seats God wants, he wants them filled. That's not my will, that's his. And I believe this as we move into the communion with all of my heart. That as God looks out at Family Life Church, he sees a whole lot of people that love him. He sees you. He knows you. Your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your ticket to paradise has already been purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what this communion reminds us of. So every time we have communion, we're reminded that Jesus has purchased our ticket by what he did on the cross. But then he says, when you come to the table, eat and drink in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Our great Father, we praise you and thank you.